This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hello, everyone. I'm Ann Powers, music critic and co-founder of the anti-sexist, intersectional, canon-expanding NPR music project, Turning the Tables. And we're taking over All Songs Considered every Wednesday during March, which is Women's History Month. Last year, we published a series of essays by women and non-binary writers about albums that changed their lives. And that song you're hearing, Santa Gold's Lights Out, is from one of the albums we'll be talking about today with the writers Donnie Walton and Christina Lee. Before we bring them on, let's just listen a little more to Santa Gold. excited about today's episode because it's all about how music can change your life at any point, not just when you're a kid. You know, a lot of people assume that that's the only time that music has that kind of impact. Donnie's and Christina's essays show us otherwise. And also I'm excited because we're talking about two artists whom some of you listening might not know that much about, the bohemian polyglot Santa Gold and the fresh rapper from my home state of Tennessee, Baby Mother. About to take a $30 trip to a whole nother universe. I ain't even got to bring a purse. Gotta shake the negativity. Everybody pressing me. Got me in a slump. Take a bump. Three tabs on my tongue. Now I'm about to have a rave with the roaches. Staring at the ceiling, feel the bubble guts approaching. I can see the beauty in the bullshit. Damn, I probably shouldn't have took that third hit. Fuck it, bitch, I'm thugging in my cockpit. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a hood rat. Well, now I'd love to welcome the two great writers who contributed to the series and who will be talking with me today. First, the person who turned me on to Baby Mother, Christina Lee, music journalist and critic, frequent voice on New Music Friday from All Songs Considered, and co-host of the podcast Bottom of the Map. Welcome, Christina. Hi, Anne. So great to have you here today. And we also have Donnie Walton, a veteran journalist and magazine editor and the author of, like, truly my favorite rock novel of all time, The Final Revival of Opal and Neb. Hi, Donnie. Hey, Anne. Thank you so much. I'm so flattered. My gosh. (laughs) Well, I can't wait for you and Christina to converse with each other because I think you all have a lot in common. (laughs) Absolutely. For those who haven't read the final revival of Opal and Nev, Donnie, can you just like introduce us to Opal? Sure. So Opal is a Black woman from Detroit who in the early 1970s um, teams up with a British singer-songwriter and they become, through various events, a proto-punk act in that era. So the book is covering the early 1970s, but also... Um, looks at them in the year 2016 as they're considering a reunion tour. 
I love how things are shaking down on this podcast because we've had a few different conversations about albums that writers discovered as teenagers. You both wrote about albums that you found in your 30s, which can be a time of great change as well. The 30s were really interesting because the 20s life is like a buffet, right? You have like all (laughs) these choices, everything is available to you. And people look at you and they say, oh, youth, you know, it's like you're expected (laughs) to flit about and like change your mind all the time. And it's part of the glory and the amazing thing about being in your 20s. You get into your 30s and you start to have things at stake. You know, you have attachments, you may be married, you may have a mortgage. And so the choices become more complicated and you start making those pro-cons lists that your mother tells you to make. The whole life is like a buffet thing. I don't know, Christine, if you can relate, but I know for me, like in my 20s, life was literally off in a buffet because I would go like try to find any free buffet that I could find, like say in any <laughs> random hotel or, you know, happy oh hour. Oh my gosh, <laughs> open bars. And, yeah. Well, certainly I was definitely encouraged in college to do a lot of soul seeking as if that soul seeking didn't amount to thousands of dollars in student loans like I wasn't really reckoning with the tangible cost of that. And yeah, Donnie, I agree with you. In my 30s, everything starts to feel like extremely consequential, like everything is supposed to be set in stone. And I know certainly when I was an adolescent, I figured that by 30, I'd had everything figured out. So by the time I turned 30, let alone 35, and I truly started to reckon with the fact that I was never going to make any 30 under 30 lists, I tried to keep tabs of folks who I could sort of keep as role models, if only to myself. And in hip hop, even the only one that I could think of up until Baby Mother, of course, was like 2 chains, And that's just because at 35, he managed to become finally recognized as a mainstream force. Whereas before, I think Jay-Z tried to retire at 33, not successfully, but there was an implication there that he was above it all, you know, that he had already had everything figured out. Yeah, Santa Gold was my exact same age. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, like she's just breaking through now. Like New York loves the pretty young things. And it was rare to sort of encounter an artist who was really breaking through in the way that she did at that age. And yet... I don't know that any earlier time she would have been able to to do something like that because it's an accumulation of wisdom and experience and all those things that make the album so textured and great. What? Donnie, I'm so glad you you brought that up because you wrote about this so beautifully in your essay. And I related to that as someone who moved to New York just a little bit before I turned 30 and and got on the journalism treadmill as you did. Will you read a little bit from your essay uh, about why Santa Gold was so special to you? Sure, I would love to. I discovered to my delight that Santee White and I had a lot in common. Both of us Black women, of course, and both 32 that year. 
the wrong age, race, and gender to just be making a name, especially as creatives in youth-obsessed New York City. Like me, I learned from the profiles I dig into as companion pieces to my regular listening. She had paid dues behind the scenes before trying out for the showier roles. Though her days in A&R and fronting a punk band called Stift were obviously more exciting than mine toggling between media jobs. Also like me, she was musically ravenous. Her skinfolk had steeped her in a love of traditionally black forms, jazz and soul, then Afrobeat, dub. But she was interested too in other genres beloved by the weird white kids she'd befriended in school. Among favorites she cited, Deep Pixies, David Byrne. At some point she'd mustered the gall to mix it all up. And in her stew of an album, I recognized a freedom, a flouting, the soul of black folk banging alongside punks, pop idols, knob twiddlers, new wavers. I thought about the long stretch of time between her start in the business and this inspiring moment. And since that art, this accomplished, this sure, couldn't have come on any other wavelength or timeline. Considering our similarities, I held her success very close to my heart. An uncategorizable artist, an uncategorizable person has to maybe take a few detours on their adventure before they finally hit that moment of mainstream success. And I feel like Baby Mother's kind of in this category, too. What do you think, Christina? You know, prior to Baby Mother, there was a couple of different attempts to release a debut album, right? First, there was news that it was going to be called Prosperity Gospel, and it was inspired by Joel Osteen and this argument that he's like the ultimate grifter. Um, (laughs) There was another attempt that was uh, called Christine. But then, like, by the time she gets to Motherland, it's interesting. Um, It is a debut album, technically, and it's one where... She exhibits Gucci Mane as an influence. She sounds like LaChat, but I think with the psychedelic influences, like she's also hearkening to another role model of hers, which is uh, Bjork. But mm. by the time she actually comes to release the album, I guess with all of her frustrations with trying to navigate the music scene in the first place and try to figure out, will really try to carve out her own space amid um, these watershed moments for women in hip hop. She was just like, you know what? This is my retirement album too. And that was something that I related to like wholeheartedly because I just think it's really tricky for artists who want to be able to thrive and create their own art without necessarily having to measure up to these mainstream metrics, whether that's in terms of sales or whether that's in terms of aesthetics or types of sounds, you get the idea. Ambition. I think that people have the idea that it sort of like disappears when you reach a certain age and it may shift a bit and priorities may change, but there's, you know, there's a desire to make great things and, and to be, you know, exceptional in your art. Doing that while at the same time, you know, standing up for your principles, like not compromising, those things are so important as you age and are establishing yourself in the world. I kind of think that being bohemian or just different hits different for someone like me, a white woman, than it does for either of you, women of color. And and I wonder if, Donnie, you thought about that in your connection with Santa Gold. That word different is really complicated, I think, for me. And I'm actually thinking about the late, great Betty Davis, who was another inspiration for Opal and her album called They Say I'm Different. 
And I really sort of like, of course, respect the idea of being unconventional and things like that. But then the word different is complicated because it raises a lot of questions that's like different from what and different to whom and all of those things that feel a little uncomfortable. And I think it also kind of implies a desired distance between myself and whatever group that I identify with. For me, it would be Black women. And that is not anything that I would want to project. And so it was really important for me to create a character who is kind of like Santa Gold, I think, in the sense that she's very rooted in her Blackness and very comfortable in her skin and her identity, and yet able to explore other things and to show interest in other things. And so there's a phrase that I think, you know, the cultural critic Ziba Blay has introduced to the lexicon, which is carefree Black girls. I love that phrase because it just sort of implies, you know, a Black woman who is at peace with all the fragments of her identity and not going to allow anyone to disturb that piece. And I just really kind of embrace that more than words like different. Yeah. We do need to take a little break, so we'll be back in a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mass Mutual. According to Calendar.com, the average person schedules just 4.5 hours per year on finances. Mass Mutual gets it. Life is busy. If you can't find time to plan your financial future, find someone who can. Like a Mass Mutual financial professional. For the last 170 years, they've helped people plan for retirement, college tuition, and any other short or long-term financial goals. Learn more at MassMutual.com. I'm Ann Powers from NPR Music, and I'm here with Donnie Walton and Christina Lee talking about two albums that changed their life, the debut record from Santa Gold and Baby Mother's Motherland. Christina and Donnie wrote these wonderful essays about these records, and both have images of women wandering. And Christina, you listening to Baby Mother as you're trying to figure out how to negotiate life midway through the pandemic. And I just have to say, in this series, I was so grateful to you for writing a piece in the here and now, because we are all facing such challenges and it is a time that we need to be turning to music for sustenance, for inspiration. Christina, you are also thinking about what success means to you in this moment. Let's hear a song from Baby Mother that spurred some of those thoughts. Yeah. 
try. Pay for my position. You ain't see the nights I had to cry. Lost my fucking mind. About the stripper Ellen took a ride. I don't love me less. I'm protected. They can't benefit. Got no time for risk. Got two babies strapped to eat the breast. No, my baby dead is so there's a lot going on in this song, right? But first, I got to take you back to, I guess, like another album. Specifically, Let's Get It, Thug Motivation 101 by Jeezy. So I bring that up because it begins with like one of my favorite before after images, which is like, you know, used to hit the kitchen lights, cockroaches everywhere. And then now I hit the kitchen lights and there's marble floors everywhere. You know, for the longest time, it was anthems like these where... I was seeking out like Tony Robbins style motivational speakers in my music to kind of really propel my career forward as I'm navigating Atlanta, as I'm trying to, I guess, cement a career outside of New York, trying to motivate myself while also realizing that I felt very much like outside of the hustle and bustle, never mind what was going to come of Atlanta hip hop in the years to come, that hip-hop was sort of relocated center of gravity. So what's interesting about this song, Roaches Don't Die, is that she really revels in the before image of that, right? So we're being taken to her house where she's seeing cockroaches skittering around. And this is sort of recalling a profile she did for The Fader where she didn't hide any of that, really. She just she took people into her life and she said, this is what it is. But at the same time, the roach also becomes a metaphor. Um, I'm sure you've heard many times before that like cockroaches are going to be the only living being that survived whatever apocalypse sort of hits our way. And so she uses that to say that, you know what, I'm a survivor too. I'm going through a lot of shit right now. In this moment, she is trying to summon up the motivation that I think comes so easily to some of my other hip hop role models. Um, but she's having a little bit of a tougher time doing that. And I think during the pandemic, I really related to that feeling of trying to summon up the spark, um, but having a much tougher time doing so. I love you throwing down your expertise right here. This is why we are doing this series. I love Christina Lee just pulling out those those lyrics from her mind. No problem. It's tattooed people. in my brain. Like I just, I just can't help it at this point. See, I mean, it may seem facile to say, but women can be music experts too, people. Yes, thank that- you, man. Yes. And I also just want to say, roaches they unite us all whatever city we're in i don't know donnie i just have to ask did you have any uh notable cockroach experiences in those years i mean listen listen i'm i'm from florida oh Oh, okay they have wings (laughs) i'm from so yes that is highly relatable content well listen i mean you guys have the pizza rat too which is like i uh, yeah so well, well, this conversation about urban menaces kind of leads me into a question I had for you, Christina, about your essay. Because I, like you, also uh, live with an anxiety disorder. And in your essay, you talk about the practices you use to deal with generalized anxiety disorder. Then you talk about how Baby Mother's album not only seemed relevant, but actually kind of enacted some of the same thought patterns. So I'd like you to read just a little bit of your essay. And then like in the essay, you go deep into quoting lyrics and really showing us examples. But maybe you can talk us through a track. Last December, my therapist gave me an exercise that I still use today. In a moment of distress, I write down the first negative thought that comes to mind. I always make the wrong decisions. My career is regressing. Christmas is ruined. 
Then I write through a reality check as if interviewing myself. Are these thoughts all true? Or is there proof that this situation isn't as dire as I feared? I recognize this train of thought in Motherland. Songs like Roaches Don't Die become anthemic because when baby mother does brag or boast, it's only between moments when she longs for the confident woman she once was. It's only after she says, I miss that bitch sometimes, that she lands on the moving personal statement in heavy metal. Throughout Motherland, Baby Mother insists that no one should consider her a role model, let alone someone who has everything figured out. I get her logic. Role models seem impenetrable. Baby Mother's songs play out as if she's rebuilding her confidence in real time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I find that so moving and relatable. I mean, especially, you know, when you do build that life that you feel like is rooted and things begin to change around you, it can shake you. It can shake your ideas of things. And to listen to an artist who acknowledges that difficulty, especially a hip hop artist, you know, like swagger and confidence is like what we sort of understand hip hop to be. And so I really appreciate you introducing me to Baby Mother because she's new to me. And to know that, you know, there's someone who is being very real and authentic in that way. And that, yeah, this this is hard. (laughs) (laughs) These changes are hard. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to get back to that thing that I used to be. How do I do it? And if I can do it, yay for me. (laughs) (laughs) Taking a minute to like celebrate that, you know? This album was what I needed in the moment because it showed me that change can be really incremental and then that's okay. During the pandemic especially, I felt as if I was still trying to unlearn and then learn new things, which meant that I was still so frustrated by what felt like stagnation, right? I felt like I wasn't making the progress that I needed in regards to my mental health, which then sort of felt like was translating out to like my career. So I think having music like this to sort of walk me through that and you know, help reassure me that, hey, it's incremental for a lot of other folks too. It was what I needed. And even my therapist told me the other day, she was like, listen, in regards to the pandemic and the way that it felt like the world and your life sort of stopped, you know, just like everywhere, at least you were ahead of the game. At least you had the therapist to call up. (laughs) Yes. And baby mother's ahead of the game by talking this way in a time where, you know, I mean, the most comforting thing is to go on social media and see these memes about people really struggling in the pandemic. (laughs) And there was like a really funny one that I just posted the other day about like going shopping for the first time after you've been in the house for two years. And, you know, I want something that feels like pajamas, but I can like wear it out if I need to and I can (laughs) sleep in it, but I don't want to change except every three days. And, you know. And we need companions in those moments. And that's another thing that I think it's kind of a subtext in both of your essays is that I love your testimony that you can have that kind of connection and make companion of an artist through any time in your life. 
I'm still going through phases. <laughs> so <laughs> it's true. Like different obsessions, like every, you know, year or few months. Coming into this novel, you know, I, I listened to, of course, a lot of Betty Davis and getting into Nona Hendrix's solo, solo debut. Oh, and so last good. year, you know, yeah. <laughs> last year I was doing a lot of Bowie. Like, it's just like I have different kind of crushes and interests and and they change. And it's maybe not necessarily always a new artist, but it's about like going back and like things that you aren't familiar with and, and learning more about it, digging in those crates. I mean, one, I think during the pandemic, it was such a period of of loneliness. You know, coming out of it, I feel grateful because it urged me to listen to music a lot more closely. And I think if this period didn't happen, then maybe I wouldn't have listened to Baby Mother so closely. You know, once you're past the age of 30 and as you're approaching 35 and 40, it feels almost taboo to talk about all the ways in which you're feeling, quote unquote, behind on life. You're seeing everybody else. They're married. They have kids. They're paying the mortgage and stuff like that. And it almost feels taboo to suggest that I don't feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. So for baby mother in particular, she kind of showed me and reminded me that like parenthood is only ever going to be one aspect of your life. And then for the rest of it, you're going to go out and rave. You're going to dance. You're going to get drunk or whatever, do drugs. And you're going to still continue to be your own messy self. So that was something that I really needed to hear as well. Messiness. I love it. I mean, I, I loved writing a messy character and I love like messy artists because that's that's the texture. That's that's the relatable parts is the mess. At Turning the Tables, we always want to celebrate the mess. And maybe that's one reason why these artists resonated with you too. It's not just the internal struggles we go through. I mean, the world is not making it easy. Let's just say it. My essay ends with me kind of at the very beginning of a new career. You know, I left my media career and started following my dream of, of becoming a novelist. And now that I've accomplished that dream, at least with one book, you know, the question that keeps coming up from people is, ooh, what's next? What's next? You know, my book got a lot of attention because in part, I do think it sort of explored some topics that were really, I hate to use the word hot at the time, but yeah, necessary, yes. I had finished writing my book by June 2020 when suddenly everybody wants to talk about race. You know, it, it was a reality for me for all my life, these things that I was turning over in my head. But then all of a sudden there's a spotlight. And so when I think about what's next, you know, I want to be able to do different things and maybe not like write about that and write about other things. But I do like, I fear there may be some expectation to write something in a similar vein. And so for me, looking at an artist like Santa Gold, who is always sort of tweaking and changing and each album having a different feel and really following her specific interests, like that's what I want to do. And it's not as if, you know, her albums aren't becoming more popular necessarily, but I get the sense that she's very satisfied with the, what she's doing as an artist. And that's all I really want is to feel satisfied and, you know, of course, also hopefully have enough readers that I can like do another one at some point, you know, and just like really hoping that people will follow as a podcaster, Christina, too, like you are a public person, you're you're a character, you're performing yourself, but then you're going through your own internal processes, too. And I'm just curious what you think about like success, 
How do you even define success in this crazy moment of ours? When Dr. Regina Bradley and I launched our Southern Hip Hop podcast, Bottom of the Map, um, it was very clear what the peg was. It was like, here's two dope women of color who are actually talking about hip hop. I remember in discussions where we were developing the podcast where it's like we realized that just solely by being women of color we were occupying a white space literally it was just like oh my gosh just on the sheer notion that because we're not men talking about the genre that we were considered that you know this is going to be the main selling point you know we both sort of understood that we had to really kind of stand by our own expertise. And I know for me in particular, I can't really speak on Regina because she's super amazing. But I know for me in particular, it was like there was this pressure to get absolutely everything right and have everything committed to memory. With Baby Mother, what's really interesting about her is that part of the reason why she initially debated uh, retiring after Motherland was because she was trying to figure out her her own means of success. She realized that in these past couple years with a lot of success stories surrounding women in hip hop, it's like, okay, she wants to be able to thrive in her artistry, but she doesn't necessarily want to be as famous as a Megan the Stallion or the Doja Cat. And you can kind of hear that in the sort of production choices that she makes. And you can also see that with how she chooses to be independent. In this album, as the listener is being transported to her world by way of an acid tab, I was too inspired. Uh, there was a couple of times, once before the pandemic and once like as the first wave of vaccinations are coming way that I decided to take mushrooms with a couple friends because I think what those mushroom trips ended up doing was sort of disassociating myself, I think, from what kind of feels like everybody else's timeline. As I'm turned 35 last year and I'm gonna turn 36 this year, now those markers seem so much more arbitrary than they once did. Now it's like, I don't necessarily feel like, oh, I got to freeze my eggs like tomorrow. I mean, maybe I should, <laughs> whatever, it's fine. I think ever since this period, it feels like I'm operating on my own timeline, which I think is such a gift. Success on our own terms. Here's to success on our own terms. Love it. <laughs> and here's to music, which always helps us figure out our own timelines, I think. Donnie and Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. And for everyone listening, please make sure to read the final revival of Opal and Nev or listen to the fantastic audiobook of it. It's really great. <laughs> and check out the Bottom of the Map podcast, which will teach you everything you need to know about Southern hip hop. And thank you all for listening. Tune in next week when we'll have a conversation with writers Maria Sherman and Laura Snapes about developing your taste as a critic and carving your own path. For NPR Music, I'm Ann Powers, and it's All Songs Considered.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When your celebration of life is prepaid today, your family is protected tomorrow. Planning ahead is truly one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.